Happy Thanksgiving and welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker and today I am joined by Devin Shepard, host of one of my favorite horror movie podcasts, Cadaver Dogs. Thank you so much, Devin, for coming on today. I'm so excited to be here. Finally, finally with you, finally meeting you. Yes. Virtually. <laughs> yes, we've been kind of, our shows have been kind of like dancing around each other and trying to match up our timelines has been very crazy for both of us. Um, but, but thank you so much for taking the time. I'm very excited to have you on. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited to, to talk about this movie too. Uh, perfect Thanksgiving film. Yes, yes. Today we are discussing Toby Hooper's 1974's horror movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but before we get into that, uh, Devin, will you please tell the kind folks about your show, Cadaver Dogs? Yes. So I am a co-host of the horror analysis podcast, Cadaver Dogs. Um, we take two horror movies every episode and we compare their themes and talk about their histories and their cultural influences on the story um, and the creation of the film. It's fun. We we go we go pretty deep into the films, everything from lesser known horror films to uh, foreign frights to the big budget horror that everyone watches. So it's a it's a good time. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a good variety of movies that y'all cover on there. And like you said, I very much appreciate the the deep like dives into like the themes that y'all cover on there and kind of like sort of like the culture and you know society norms at the time kind of like uh, imprinted on the films y'all talk about. So it's always very fun to kind of hear the, the analyses that y'all bring to it. Yeah, thank you. We like to joke too. We talk about uh, Ronald Reagan a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Devin. And if people are interested in Cadaver Dogs, there will be links in the show notes. Now, today, as I said, we are discussing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. And this is my Thanksgiving episode. Um, this was a joke I came up with like a year ago when I was working on another show. I wasn't even, Autopsy of a Horror Movie wasn't even a thought in my brain when I did this. I was working on this other show, Film on the Rocks. And my co-host and I were talking about how we're going to like tease the release for like our uh, November lineup. And I said, it would be really funny if I said, you know, Thanksgiving's the time of year when families come together, share a nice meal. And that's why we'll be talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because the Sawyer <laughs> family, they're so close knitted together. They really, you know, have that, that good family bond. And that's what we're going to be celebrating today. And that was like the joke I had, which we didn't do. But um, so that's. A year later, here I am able to bring that uh, full circle. Um, this this is a movie that I'm actually was kind of late in the game to discovering Texas Chainsaw. I don't think I watched it for the first time until about maybe three years ago was the first time oh, I wow. saw it. Yeah, I was I was pretty late to it. Um, again, I mentioned it several times on the show before. I grew up a pretty big scaredy cat, uh, and so you know, with a name like this, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, brutal. it sounds sounds like a pretty brutal movie, and it is, but for like almost different reasons. But uh, it, there's a lot of implied violence in this, but uh, we'll discuss yeah. that later on in this. But uh, <laughs> uh, Devin, what is your history with this movie? I feel like I have the opposite background of you. I grew up in a very horror-friendly household. Um, and I feel like I don't remember the first time I saw this movie because I just feel like it was always there. Mm -hmm. Like I had seen it so many times by the time I hit a certain age. Um, and then, I mean, I this movie means a lot to me because I'm a huge Poltergeist fan. And so I, I wrote this huge paper on Poltergeist back in college. And I had to rewatch TCM multiple times, just like, I have to understand Toby. I have mm -hmm. to know, like, wh what influenced him from Texas Chainsaw Massacre to Poltergeist. So I, I, this is, I love this movie so much. I think it's a classic for me. <laughs> so, so it's always been something that you've enjoyed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was watching it for, for this show, and um, I, it was... I was watching it with my boyfriend. I was like, this is so soothing. This is just a soothing movie for me. <laughs> and I realized how messed up that was um, because, yeah, I, I called it the soothing screams of Sally. 
for the last half hour. I'm like, yes, I'm being lulled right now. <laughs> Her screams do kind of like evolve into like, that, like kind of like that kind of like Schwarzenegger sound sometimes. Like I kind of noticed that when she was in the woods, she's like, Jerry is like what it sounds like sometimes. <laughs> How did she not lose her voice? She's screaming half the movie. It's insane. It, it is insane. Um, but <laughs> it's funny that you kind of call this soothing because soothing. Because uh, the first time I watched this, I actually wasn't, like, a fan of it. I was like, ooh, I don't know, like, if I, like, really in- had a good time with this. This was <laughs> um, this was pretty unsettling. The reason why I watched it for the first time about, like, two or three years ago is because I was actually preparing to go on another show, uh, Spooky and Strange. We were talking about uh, Claire C. Holland's books, uh, book of poems, I'm Not Your Final Girl. And we were talking mm-hmm. about one of the poems was about Sally. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess I got to watch the movie to kind of, like, contextualize the poem and I was like god this is so messed up and it wasn't until this this week you know I rewatched it for today and this was I think my third time third or fourth time seeing it and this was the first time that like it finally like all sort of like clicked with me I was like this is a fun time like I had like a much more enjoyable time with this I was like okay I think I actually like get the appeal of this movie now like I really get why this is so success so successful and still a huge talking point like academics love this movie oh yeah for sure and to clarify like the first few times i watched this movie it was absolutely terrifying and definitely gave me nightmares <laughs> and was like a horrible experience just i'm with you on that yeah yeah no, <laughs> well, this is a hard movie yeah oh yeah oh i was kind of like more of like how do people find this fun but now on my, my fourth rewatch my, i get it now this is yeah i was able to like really appreciate more of like the craftsmanship that like that is that that you know got this put together um it's a lot of like really cool kind of like artsy sort of like shots in this kind of like when he uh when uh i forget like what i think it's when jerry's starting to walk away from the group to go to the house to look for the other two pam and kirk and we mm-hmm. kind of like that we kind of get this weird cool shot of, like the sun kind of like is like so blurry kind of like fades in and out i was like oh that was like kind of cool there uh, are so many cinematic moments in this mm-hmm. movie and you're like with the subject and the material you're like why is this so beautiful to watch at the same time and i mean um toby hooper what i always love about him too is he really knows how to move the camera and i always love the tracking shots of this film you're always behind the characters and are like you go you experience a lot with them Mm -hmm. um even if it's from a low angle showing those awesome red shorts throughout (laughs) that's like always the thing that burns in my mind but i mean you remember the shot yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's very cool going from like behind the bench and like through it and everything. It's um, it's a very it's it's a very I don't know like pretty movie for something that's the subject matter is so grotesque. Um, and I also kind of love like the sound design in this too. I was kind of really paying attention to that. Um, like with our first kill with Kirk, I believe, um, when Leatherface is you know pummeling him there's no music is being played over like the squeals of pigs and it's um it's the music doesn't come in until he slams the door and it's just like damn like it's it's just so good the other the scene right after with pam and she is exploring the house and falls onto the into the feathers and the bones that sound is just so terrifying it's like almost almost it's almost reminiscent of halloween i think it's like the Oh, okay. Flashes, mm-hmm. um, and it goes on for a while, but it's terrifying. It's just the sound over these images of bones. Mm-hmm. I thought you were about to say the like the music for her because like it almost sounded like that like like organ kind of music that's in Black Christmas. Um, yes. Which these two those two movies are kind of tied to to each other for for the genre, but um, that's yeah. It, and I guess while we're talking about sound, the the flashing bulb noise in the beginning of the movie. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's so good. It's it's just great. Um, while we're talking about this, just uh, to further go on how successful this is, this movie had a budget of $300,000 and it grossed $30 million in the box office. That was in 1974. If you were to adjust for inflation in 2021, that is a budget of about... 1.7 million and grossing over 174 million dollars um just huge success this movie is actually part of the permanent collection in new york city's museum of modern art uh it is 
the British Film Institute magazine Sight and Sound have it listed among the 250 greatest films ever made. Um, it's crazy the cultural impact that this movie has had. And insane. I also kind of laughed at the <laughs> that the British put it in their top movies because they also banned it. <laughs> 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 like, oh, wait, we made a mistake. This is actually amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, they just don't get it because, you know, it's it's movies kind of like, you know, very Americana, you know, with it's setting it in Texas is kind of, um, I don't know, I feel like kind of purposeful uh, in what the, the when we get to it, like our messaging and kind of like interpretation of how like a lot of academics like to talk about this movie. We'll talk about that later on in this. But um, that is a funny point. I actually didn't know it was banned in the UK. Yeah, I think that's part of their video nasties wave where they banned all those. I mean, it is pretty violent film. I, I, I yeah, I don't disagree with it with them banning it. Like I, I see it, but it is you know, <laughs> it's it's a pretty cultural impactful movie. I, I do wonder too, like if I had seen this at the time, what I would have thought, um, because now we've been hyped up for it for so long. You know, you grow up knowing this is a masterpiece of a movie. Um, I do wonder what it would be like to see it when it first came out at Cannes or something. <laughs> I was thinking about this today. I was like, I wonder what it would be like to just like see this on the big screen. Because, you know, oh, sometimes yeah. they will, uh, like they recently showed Scream for I think the 20th anniversary on, or was it, I don't know if that math actually checks out. 96, 2021. I feel like that's like 15. 25. 15? I don't know. Math. Anyways, math. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> do, do the math in the comments for me. Um, but uh, the screen was re-released, and I got to see Halloween uh, 78 on, on the big screen this, this past October. And it was just uh, it was just so great. So I was kind of wondering, and it, it, it made Halloween scarier for me seeing it on the big screen. So yeah. this is already pretty scary in my living room. So I would like to know what uh, – get that you know experience, especially all the sound <laughs> that we talked about, uh, just being like surrounded by that. Uh, I would love to have that. I, I want to see it at a drive-in. I want to see it sitting in the back of a pickup truck oh. at a drive-in. <laughs> Come on, that experience. In, in Texas. In Texas. Definitely in Texas. Yeah, in, yeah. Like, the summer heat. Yeah, absolutely. Have that. There's also probably something scarier about seeing this outdoors because, uh, like, so one of like the best chase scenes like in a horror movie happens outdoors in this, and it's just I don't. Know, I, I feel like that that would kind of like add to the ambiance of this. Oh yeah, be terrifying. <laughs> Alrighty, so I feel like that this is a pretty interesting movie to discuss the subgenre that it kind of blends into because this is kind of cited and you know as you know being one of the first movies to kind of establish the slasher subgenre. But I mean, it is a slasher movie. Um, it's you know we, I kind of like how it kind of establishes some of the tropes we get, like groups of friends, they all leave the group and don't come back. Um, and we, this is, you know, the movie that Carol J. Clover kind of cites as, you know, when coining the term final girl. It, there's just a lot of ground zero work in this movie for the subgenre slasher. Yeah, I mean, obviously so. I, I was questioning while I was watching this movie, too. Is it the first, maybe not the first one, but the final girl and just having her be very sexualized, too. And um, I keep referring to that shot of, like, um, Pam mm -hmm. from behind her with the red shorts and we're looking up. Um, I always felt like this was one of the early movies where they're kind of like sexualizing the the main females. Yeah, well, it's also kind of uh, that kind of like difference where like the like in Carpenter's Halloween where like you know this the 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 void of any sort of sexual activity is what makes her the final girl. And mm -hmm. they're really I don't really believe that there are like that rule of like sex equals death in these movies um pam and kirk kind of sort of allude to like running off together but we don't nothing like sexual really happens but i don't think anyone kisses in this movie do yeah they? i don't think so I, well there's lots of raspberries blown but yeah i don't think there are any kisses <laughs> um but uh just at least like just the costume design between pam and sally pam you know her whole back is exposed she's wearing those short shorts um and sally she's wearing pants long pants um and i mean the the thing that's the most revealing is kind of like her chest in this but uh just the mm -hmm. costume design between the two is very different where you know pam's is very much se sexualized 
yeah it from the those behind shots it basically looks like she's not wearing a top which is really interesting yes and of course lots of those shots from there's multiple scenes in this where her 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 bottom is is the focal point yes (laughs) in the scene you know at the gas station at the house yeah there's that happens a handful of times but i kind of found that interesting that yeah we didn't exactly get that like sex equals death trope um in this movie right but it yeah but as you were saying it did set up the the building blocks to what is now the classic slasher tropes for Mm -hmm. sure yeah absolutely um we also get that kind of also kind of has is this like technically a home invasion movie is just kind of (laughs) reversed right right is it a don't breathe kind of situation yeah yeah that's kind of like a joke a friend and i always have that the perfect way to summarize this movie is that use break into a house whoops they're cannibals uh (laughs) (laughs) they break into the house they're definitely maybe sex doesn't equal death but uh they do they're not the greatest kids they doing stupid shit yeah, I mean, they, they're they very much, um, they feel very teen, well, not teenage, or how old are they supposed to be? I'm not sure, like, just, like, young adults. Yeah, it feels very um, adventure youth to me, um, and I thought it was really fitting. Yeah, the, like, the, well, you said, like, adventure youth, it kind of, like, cause, just because of the van, it's the 70s, so it's like, this kind of feels like the Scooby-Doo gang, Mystery Inc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I love how 70s it is, too, because um, uh, Jamie, uh, uh, Sally's boyfriend, he even has kind of like a little like afro going on. They're just it, it's just it's just it really uh, sets it in, in the 70s. It's so great. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, besides, you know, slasher and <laughs> the joking about home invasion, I can't really think of like other things this really spills into because it is purely, you know, what it is. Yeah, I know. And I was thinking, like, does it fall into gore? But you really don't see a lot of that happening. Um, not a lot of body horror, just a lot of imagery that hints at. Yeah, and deaths. it's it, it like, tricks you on that because, you know, you, you know, I don't know, you walk away from this movie for several years. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. when when they put Sally on the hook, you definitely see that hook go through, but you don't. Um, right. There's not even like a sound for it either. She's kind of just placed there. She just screams. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's really just more of just like the horror of like what's actually happening. You know, she's watching uh, Kirk be carved up like a like a Thanksgiving turkey with <laughs> but by Leatherface. Oh, my gosh. So much of this movie is watching their reactions. And I think it was um, Spielberg. When did Jaws come out? It was when he was doing Jaws. 75, I think. OK, so right after this, which is pretty fitting. Um, Spielberg says, you know, the horror really comes from watching other people react and watching other people be terrified and then you get as terrified as them. And I feel like that's what Texas Chainsaw is doing. And mm, maybe Spielberg, uh, maybe Spielberg was inspired by Toby Hooper. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense. Um, Just, you know, Jaws is very interesting because it's like how like how much inspiration could he take because everything he wanted to do just wouldn't work. So, so. right. (laughs) (laughs) But that is to say, I mean, this movie, obviously there are a lot of issues on set. um, Mm -hmm. Famously. So, so maybe a lot of stuff also didn't work and they decided to go in this direction. And maybe that's just the, uh, the indie horror way of doing things. (laughs) Absolutely. It, it kind of like all kind of like does fall onto kind of some of the actors sometime, like the one of the, uh, I forget all. I think it was maybe like History of Horror on Shudder I was watching and they were talking about the, the little dance that the grandpa does when he drinks uh, Sally's like finger blood. Oh my god. That was that was like improv. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to. He just did like this little hand dance and it's so fucked up but it's great. Uh, <laughs> so much of this movie I was like if it was anything else I would laugh so hard. It's like there are moments that are schlocky but it's not it's not a schlocky film as a whole. No, it's it's the the pacing of this is incredible. Uh, I, that was some, one of the points I had for this. Was like, wow, this like Toby Hooper or whoever edited this. Like the editing is so good because it is paced. I thought very well. So well. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> something that I'm kind of thinking of that maybe that this might fall into family drama because mm-hmm. I, I I kind of found it interesting about this is kind of bleeding into like a weird interpretation I have for this, but uh. Like, what are, like, the filmmakers saying about, like, the American nuclear family? 
at the time in this because it, it, it's kind of interesting it's because there is no there's no you know ma- matriarch in in this family but like is Leatherface supposed to take the place of like the mom role in this um when they're because the, went to dinner table because if you look at like all the roles um Leatherface he, he is staying home taking care of the house Get, prepare, trying to prepare oh. dinner he even wears makeup at the dinner table like on his right. mask uh the dad the cook the old man he's out working at the gas station and hitchhiker is the little shit little brother that's out <laughs> r- running amok getting in trouble and the, i mean the the old man is even very like disciplinary like a dad in this and says one of my favorite line deliveries ever look what your brother did to the door It's <laughs> and, like they do kind of treat Leatherface though as like the mom in this because besides the things I said and also it's a very outdated thing. But there's a point in this where the cook even yells at him to get back in the kitchen. And oh, interesting. there's I don't know. It's kind of like I, I was trying to see like is there some sort of underlying I don't know message just about like what f- the family dynamics. <laughs> in this I think, yeah i totally agree i think so i mean the image that i love so much is when sally joins them at the dinner table and it's um it almost feels like they keep her around because they want that feminine presence like she's a part of their family that they're missing and it there's something where she's all she's staring at them and part of the dinner table and it feels more they feel more whole or they act more whole as a family um i love i love that scene so much that, that's very interesting because that's something I haven't thought of because as I was watching this, I was like, why haven't they just killed her yet? Because they killed the others very quickly. Right. And I was kind of wondering, why are they stringing her along so much? It, but that that's a really good read for that. I like that. But then they just want to kill her right away as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I was questioning that as well. And the fact that there is no mother and that Leatherface does take on that role, I totally agree with you. Um, it, it is interesting. Um, obviously this family, uh, well, for back then, if we're going with the seventies nuclear family, um, this family is not all put together then, um, for many reasons, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, particularly so that they're, they're all split up. And, but so the, there's a corpse upstairs and I was always wondering this, is this a grandmother corpse? Is it a mother corpse or is Mm. it one that they stole from the cemetery? Cause they definitely have full bodies up there that are all dressed and like mm-hmm. seemingly um you know mrs bates style <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i definitely took it as it was a f- member of the family i assumed it was grandmother um mm-hmm. which makes me think is she actually alive and they just brought grandpa down and just left her upstairs for right whatever reason and this is one of those like unanswerable questions for this bo- for this movie um i kind of had <laughs> I had a really weird, my theory is shattered by one scene, but um, during the, what what we've been talking about, the Sally part of this, you know, her just being at the dinner table, part of me was, after I watched this this week, I was kind of going, are they actually cannibals? Like, are, Mm. or are they kind of just, just sadists? Because it, to me, it doesn't make, okay, so here's like my evidence for like questioning if they actually are cannibals. Um, the desecration of the of the uh, cemetery, they don't. They mentioned like some like limbs were missing, but like for the most part, we saw the bodies were kind of just put together like a sculpture. So they're not eating those cadavers. Right. Um, there's lots of bone art <laughs> in, in the household, so it kind of makes me think that they just like to take body parts for home decor, <laughs> and uh, and we don't. I don't, I don't, and I, it, they obviously kind of just like really like to fuck with people because they have that, that very dark sense of humor. Like with uh, the cook, he's like poking Sally with the broom, just like, oh, does it stop your whining or whatever? And he's laughing to himself about it. He's like, and the Hitchhiker obviously likes to really fuck with people. So I was kind of wondering, like, do they actually kill people for food or are they just like really, just like, just really like pain? Yeah, no, it's such a great question because I don't think they ever explicitly do they explicitly say that they cook their meat? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the, cl- I mean, like all the scenes. I, no, I don't think that they do. 
the you know the things that do shatter this theory are that grandpa does suck her blood from her finger sure sure and the kitchen scene with sally um i mean sure they could just be putting pigs up there but i mean like they went uh, leatherface went from you know zero the cooking or you know preparing a meal in the kitchen with their bodies very quickly so um but so so that's just kind of like a tinfoil hat theory i had for this like are they actually cannibals no i love it so much and something that you brought up that i never thought of before um and i'm sure we'll talk about this more later but obviously there is a correlation um that he's making with the meat industry at the time even today really Mm -hmm. um and just how we kill animals and use them. It is interesting to see a house. Uh, there are animal hides everywhere, but there's also um, the bone art that you were talking. Um, I think they also have a they have a skin lamp, but very mm-hmm. Ed Gein, right? Um, very similar to how we used animals' hides and skins for dec- decor in our own home. Mm. Um, they use human bodies. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I was kind of always like surprised by this, like how this movie opens with the body statues. Because like, when did they have taken them for? Yeah, food? maybe I don't know. Yeah, it was hard to see. I felt like there was a lot going on. It was like cannibalism and murder and, uh, yeah, stealing from the cemetery. How do these all relate to each other? It can't just be cannibalism. Yeah, I think this kind of just plays into like chaos and how. The, we'll circle back to this when we get to the messaging to just like just put a pin in this just chaos in the 70s and we'll <laughs> <laughs> great alright so according to Dr. Carl Albrecht there are five types of fear that humans share psychologically the fear of ex- extinction or death mutilation body invasion loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment or rejection, and humiliation, shame, worthlessness, the death of ego. So Devin, I'll let you go first uh, about some of the types of fear that you felt like this movie's playing off of. And feel free to go off of this list. This is just to get the ball rolling. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was going through this list earlier and I was like, ah, it's kind of all of them. <laughs> like you said, it's chaos. Because um, obviously... There's death, and even though, like we said, there's you don't see a lot of mutilation, there is body horror. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not loss of autonomy so much, but I feel like there's also this um, this fear of loss of autonomy in t- terms of the fear of the unknown. Like they go to travel uh, to this middle of nowhere place, and you know the worst of their fears happens where there's a murderous family who also eats and kills everything else. Um, yes. Oops. They're cannibals. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Broken. Oops. They're cannibals. Um, and I feel like that, that's really what it was for me is the fear of, uh, I guess, I guess the unknown of, of going into a place where you don't belong or you don't know well, or that you're, you feel like you're treading on unknown territory. Yeah. And that's a, I really like that. There's, um, during my, uh, what was it? During my hor- like favorite horror trope series, uh, uh, Orlean from Spooky and Strange, uh, kind of one thing that she's talked about with me is just that fear of the unknown, but like the unknown of like you don't know like what what goes on inside everyone's like household. Like you know, mm-hmm. it could seem like picture perfect, but like you really don't know like what's what's happening behind closed doors, and that's kind of like what this is. And the thing that's most scary about that is that it's the opposite of separation or uh, like, you know, being isolated. It ha- it's, it's in plain sight. It's right off of a busy highway. Yeah. And I think that's like what, what's so scary about this. Like any house you're passing right now, like this, this, this is a possibility now. Um, and I think that's something because, you know, as soon as Sally gets out of the driveway, she, she's able to encounter people that can help her. And I think that's what's so scary. You're just a driveway's length away from help or murder. <laughs> right. Terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. I think there's something else here, too, um, going off for the, the last part about shame and, and worthlessness. There's this subtle story that I don't think I ever really noticed before of um, Sally and Franklin's grandparents being the, we can assume, wealthier, more successful 
Um, okay. Cattle rangers. Uh, I think they sold cattle. Yeah. Um, and they talk about so much with the hitchhiker, this um, the change in the business and how basically the Sawyer family um, was put out of work or like was told, you know, we don't need you anymore um, because we have these fancy machines that are taking your jobs. Um, very relevant. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like Sally and Franklin are seeing the effects of what their family did and seeing the horror of like, these were actions and people are suffering due to our actions. And I think that's almost like a loss of ego because you're seeing the, the reciprocation of your, of your selfishness mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, I wonder if it's less of their family specifically, but more of just the generation that they are a part of because the generation like pushing for progressive things, including mm-hmm. these like uh, progressive tools in the workplace and things like that. So I wonder if it's because her grand, I believe they say like their grandpa sold the cattle to them. Um, and I guess it's kind of just more of like this generation and the Sawyer family's generation clashing um, with everything that you mentioned uh, about like the, 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 re- the replacement with like technology instead of, you know, people, you know, my, my grandpa's the best killer, in, but, oh, well, we have a machine that could do it better than your grandpa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that. That's actually a thing that a lot of academics like to talk about this, um, that, that, that point that you just brought up. Um, and that's kind of played into my fear of, uh, extinction. And I had it like, yeah, this movie's obviously like, you're fearful about people dying in this movie but that's that's very superficial and it's more about like the extinction of your own livelihood being replaced and you are now you're now obsolete from you know your your family's business and you're now seen as kind of like a dinosaur in this day of age of using the the air gun to kill the cattle um yeah i love that yeah yeah absolutely um and but to me the big thing of this was really the mutilation um even though it is a lot of it is implied but there's it's still so good like we see we least see like the chainsaw go to kirk in the kitchen uh sally's on a hook that just feels messed up or i'm sorry not sally pam's on the hook and um all the bone art we see the the grave robbing and of course uh I think maybe my favorite kill of this movie, Franklin, uh, getting it in, in in the woods and the blood just splattering all over. Um, yeah, there's that to me was the, oh, and also just the thought of uh, being someone's meal is also very like part of that fear. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is a creep. It's a creepy movie. Yeah, and I think when you were saying earlier how we we don't see those things but everyone misremembers or remembers it as like no we see the hook go into pam mm-hmm. it's because your imagination fills that and so that yeah i totally agree that that counts as mutilation for sure yeah absolutely um and i liked everything you had to say about the the worthlessness um you know with them you know about their uh, livelihood kind of be- becoming obsolete and everything um and so for in terms of like the scariest parts or aspects of this movie um i'm very curious to see what what uh what you found to be the scariest for this i feel like there are several nominees there there are so many um there are so many <laughs> i wish i i wish i had thought about this more i i kind of like i'm i'm feeling like i want to hit a joke that it's when franklin just falls down <laughs> beginning <laughs> Oh my goodness, Franklin. Okay, let's. I guess let's talk about Franklin as a character for for just like half a second. Yes. Um, because that's something I've seen like a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people complain about that character from this movie, as like he's very whiny, and he kind of like he throws fits a lot in this movie. But I found myself being like very sympathetic for him because I was like he didn't want to even go with Sally in the first place, and and I don't blame him he's fifth wheeling on this trip. He doesn't want to be there. And, and he's, he's like the only one that's like, I don't know. He, he keeps like trying to encourage them to like leave and go on. And he's like worried that hitchhiker has like marked their car for something. It's like, he's the only one who's like seeing the signs. Like, and he, right. he didn't want to be here in the first place. I felt so bad for Franklin. And he's like, yeah, he's just like, everyone left me. Now I'm just going to sit here and everyone forgot about me. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Poor Franklin. Yeah. He he, he does. Uh, 
he does get a, kind of annoying though because he's just like constantly complaining <laughs> <laughs> like get it dude gotta make gotta make something out of this though can't just sit there and whine mm-hmm. I, I did <laughs> he's so rude to the hitchhiker too he's just like no i don't want your picture no how dare you <laughs> oh great a family of draculas yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which is just an incredible line. I love that. Um, yeah, he he was rude to, to the outsider, but I mean, I, I guess he was like the only one that like could really sense like this. There's something off about this dude. Uh, Why is he the only one that can sense that? He literally has blood on his face. And they're like, oh, let's go pick up pick up this hitchhiker. That's a good idea. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Okay, was that blood? I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be like a birthmark or if that was blood. Oh, I couldn't tell. Maybe. I think it makes sense that it's blood, but like I was like, but nobody's asking. They're being way too casual about everything in this. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, okay, guys. Yeah, it is. And then I love how Pam's kind of like, well, Saturn's in retrograde, so this makes sense. <laughs> oh my god, I I died so much when I heard that. I was like, so this whole movie is about planets in retrograde. This started the whole craze. This is it. This is what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was- Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So. Um, but yes, going back to your original question, I think, I mean, for me, so many iconic moments. We talk about the hook moment so much. That's definitely a thing. I think it's when Pam for, first gets grabbed, though, is really what's terrifying for me because she's so close to just going outside and to be grabbed from behind is terrifying and you can really see her struggling and like it looks so realistic that she's just doing everything she possibly can to let to get out of Leatherface's grasp and he's barely moving he looks so still he looks so casual and it's like the fear of this guy's this guy could probably crack her head with just a flick of his wrist Mm -hmm. um horrifying and it makes her look like such a helpless creature Mm mm-hmm yeah, no, it is. T- that is terrifying. Like you said, like she was so close to escaping. And I think I saw like one of the like, behind the scene things that Leatherface was supposed to actually catch her in the house that she wasn't actually the act. The actress wasn't actually supposed to make it out that far, but she did. So oh, I, th- wow. I think she thought the scene would have ended, but the actor playing Leatherface just continued. I think that kind of played into her reaction because she is flailing <laughs> in, yeah. in this. Um. So that was one of the the nominees, one of the contenders I had for like the scariest part of this was uh, Pam being caught and put on the hook as she watches Kirk, um, Sally at the dinner table. Uh, there's so much there to get into and why that is so terrifying. Um, I had the Leatherface jump scare in the woods when he right before he gets Franklin. That got oh, me this yeah. watch. That got me this time because I forgot <laughs> that was coming. I was like, oh, shit. Um, Is that the only jump scare in this movie? Well, maybe like the first kill with Kirk is kind of a jump scare because Leatherface does just like jump into frame. Yeah. Um, And again, there's like no like as normally that little cue, some sort of like music or some sort of sound. But like we're just getting pig squeals as soon as he comes on and is so confusing. It's like, is he making the pig squeals or is this just like you know toby hooper making you think about what pigs are going through at the slaughterhouse while this is happening and it's uh it's just so it, to me the most terrifying part of that scene though is when he slams the door because there's so much force behind it and it's just like yes. what else is he going to do and you have no idea what's back there and it's just a red room with bones and it, this guy who's wearing someone else's face it's terrifying and what's terrifying is like you know he kills him he has no problem killing him with the door open but is when he closes the door it's like what didn't he want us to see then yes oh that's such a good point that's such a good point uh, yeah it's just uh. anyways <laughs> i also had the the whole chasing chase scene with sally is just exhilarating but uh it is also very scary too so it's hard for me to pick from these, which is the scariest. I guess I have to go like the dinner table scene because it it really is the part of this movie that makes me so unsettled. Yeah, it it's just it's such good tension. I think mostly for the part that you brought up of like why aren't they killing her yet? Like what? Why are they slowing this out? And we know that they're going to, but mm-hmm. like what what is this? Tor- it is it's a torture scene. It's a torture it scene is. for the audience too because they're just like on mm-hmm. pins and needles. Oh, when the grandfather's trying to hit her and he like can't he can't and it's such a it's a very in any other family it would be a touching family moment of like 
Oh, Grandpa, you used to be so good at this. Here, let me help you do it one last time. Uh, Kill this woman. (laughs) Kill this woman. Oh, my God. It's so fucked. Um, And it's just... And, like, you know, they do all these, like, super close-ups, like, on her eyeballs and stuff during this. And just her screaming. And we get those... (laughs) Those screams from her. Um, It's... And it's so sadistic, too, because they're laughing at her, you know? And it's just so fucked and now leatherface is wearing makeup you're like when did he have a costume change and it's you know uh, (laughs) it also kind of makes you think like did he like get ready okay like i gotta go get ready for dinner and like take 20 minutes to get ready or does he have like a dinner mask that he just like swap masks that already has the makeup on Uh, still getting ready for dinner i love that i love that yeah so it's i don't know it's kind of it's just so interesting and you also really get that feel of like with the torture that how long she's been there because when she goes in it's nighttime but when she finally escapes it's the sun's out now so it's like damn she was in there all nights going through this so long and i mean we can't ignore the dad too the dad who we thought you know was not going to be involved with this at all who actually is part of the harbinger at the beginning you know great twist says don't go yeah so good he says don't go to the house and then ends up you know it's his house um, but he still, he still can't kill her. And you think that he's going to be the one to save it, um, and tell his sons, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you murdering people? But instead he's like, okay, go ahead and do this one. But I don't want to watch. What did, look at what your brother did to the door. God, it's so <laughs> good. He's just mad about that. And oh, can we talk, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, can we talk about that moment? Cause I, there is this great beat actor wise where he just he you can tell he just wants to beat down on Leatherface and um he can't really think of any other reason why and there's this moment where he pauses and like takes a second and then thinks oh it's your brother's door like and gives himself a reason to like beat down on Leatherface um Mm -hmm. it was such an interesting actor choice that I never noticed before I was like oh that's that's deep yeah it's it's it's, again it's a family drama you know they they have their issues with each other I just can't get out of my mind him hitting Hitchhiker in the driveway because he has a, a captive in the car he has Sally like in a knapsack and he gets out of the car to beat Hitchhiker be like you went to that I told you stay out of that cemetery and (laughs) And it's because it wasn't until like this rewatch, I finally was able to connect the dots that the flashing bulbs at the beginning were hitchhiker taking pictures. Right. Because yes, I, al- I always sense. thought that was the police investigation, but it was hitchhiker taking pictures of what he did. And we see yeah, him with the camera really later. Yeah, so I just kind of love that <laughs> the cook has to be the dad in this, or he is the dad in this, and he's just like, I told you to stay out of that cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like the hitchhiker is like the artistic son who is the, the outsider of the family because like I just wanna I just wanna create, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like yeah he just again like this family like they just want to you know do like the bone stuff but like there was, there was a point I forgot to bring up during my like are they actually cannibals because hitchhiker he doesn't kill Sally he could kill Sally in the driveway because he catches up to her but he's just slashing at her back like he's just mm. like I don't know I don't get what what their goal is but i think that's the point they they're just chaos right yeah and i wonder like if they would have killed them if they didn't enter the home or like unannounced why didn't he answer the door oh interesting (laughs) interesting maybe he's maybe he was in the getup i don't know he's oh i can't answer the door i hope i can't answer the door like this i gotta get my mask and apron off and then... i have to put on my new face <laughs> <laughs> just i gotta get my face ready <laughs> i would love it if like we found it like he was like actually baking cookies or something you know something super like domestic <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> just a minute um but uh <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, so, so, so those were some of the scariest parts that I that I had of this. Okay, so message of the movie. We have definitely touched on a lot of things that we feel like this movie's talking about. I kind of talked on the family aspect of this. Um, I loved your point of the... Um, uh, like 
change in industry and how like their their livelihood is being changed. Um, uh, I'll kind of let you go ahead and start this off. You know, any sort of other types of messages or if you want to dive further into any others. Um, this is kind of like a very fluid segment, so feel free to say whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of feel like this whole movie was a I hate America movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> our country is a effing mess. Um, can I swear? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> our country is a fucking mess. Um, it, it starts with, um, you know, the radio going off and you just hear bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And it's like, holy crap, this is the news. It seems like the world is like burning, but it's mm-hmm. not. This is just totally normal. I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, it just kind of feels like a um, just kind of feels like a, a fuck you to America chaos movie. It's like this is what we've devolved into um, murderous familial cannibals. Yeah, I think I think that's like pretty spot on for this. Um, I as I mentioned, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good like academic essays on this paper on this movie. Um I found one by Naomi Merritt, and I believe it was published in 2010, so it's like semi-recent. Um, it is titled Cannibalistic Capitalism and Other American uh, Delicacies, a Battalion Taste of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, this was a very interesting read, and I recommend people to dive into this. It's also interesting because it's not an American writing this. This was published out of a university in Australia, so it's kind of like a cool outsider's view of this but as i said i feel like that the family is chaos is so chaotic it's kind of like a reflection of like the 70s because this movie came out in 74 so right at the end of like the vietnam war which was the first like televised war so we're kind of like getting normalized to very bleak violence there's being te- televised um there's this sense of that you can't trust authority because there's like no police presence in this the one sheriff or chief we see is drunk in a tire and this is also coming off the heels of watergate so like you know we can't really trust you know authority figures and the gas shortage embargo that was going on at the time was a plot point in this movie they're stuck there because they're out of gas and there's no gas at the gas station so it's kind of just like the world is in chaos saturn is in retrograde we are all fucked and this is and capitalism is driving us. Capitalism isn't helping the situation. Um, and this is what, you know, blue collar workers are being driven to is this what your family. And um, it's, it, I think that's why that this movie has such a big cultural impact because it is kind of like just an expression of like, I guess the tension people were feeling in the mid to late seventies. Totally. I think it touches on all of that so well. And I know we were poking fun at the Saturn in retrograde thing, but um, I think it also touches a little bit on classism as well. If mm. we're looking at Sally and Franklin and their family as kind of wealthier, and my, my daddy owns this kind of uh, family, um, there's a point where Franklin says, you know, is all this happening because Saturn's in retrograde? And there's almost this, mm. he doesn't see what's really causing everything. And he's like, oh, it's just the universe, just the planets, it's just bad luck. You know, it's not necessarily like seeing the repercussions of politics or everything that you just touched on for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I wasn't exactly, it wasn't until I read this essay and there's lots of great essays like this, I encourage people to look into that was kind of made aware of like the cultural context for this movie. Um, And it really does kind of help make it does help it make sense <laughs> of just how people were feeling. Yeah, very chaotic movie, but has so much to say. Absolutely. It's it's not it's not surface level at all. I love it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um we kind of touched about this. I had a question of what is this movie saying about the American family cuz but I, I kind of feel like we've talked about that some. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask if we should approach the meat industry vegetarianism yeah that's yeah uh i definitely think for like a lot of things i've mentioned that is definitely some sort of comment on that do we know is is toby hooper was was he a vegetarian i was gonna look this up because i was wondering the same thing and then i didn't um let's let's take two minutes to to google this (laughs) is toby hooper vegetarian (laughs) toby oops apparently and okay, so I just Googled this, and this is from the New York Times. 
In the Masters of Horror documentary, he recalled his reaction to seeing the film from that moment until four years later, I didn't eat any meat. I became a total vegetarian for four years after making the movie. Yeah. Okay. Because I know so many people see this as a commentary on the meat industry and like inspiring vegetarian vegetarianism, but I do see it more as a capitalistic Mm -hmm. commentary and just chose the meat industry to exemplify that more so than a message to not eat meat. Um, so I think I think that tracks for me that he didn't think about it until afterwards. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, like the capitalism part of that, and it can, so many essays discuss that. So I think that's kind of, especially what we just read, because uh, it seems that the vegetarian thing is more of a byproduct of it. Um, I, feel <laughs> like if, <laughs> I feel like if this were to be... Uh, I know that this movie's been remade, but I feel like if this were to be remade with trying to attack something like that, I think it would be um, a little bit more on the nose that they went for, like, instead of, like, meat, it's, like, water, because, like, humans are, like, 70% water, and it's kind of just, like, like a fuck Nestle uh, kind of movie. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would appreciate that a little bit more. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, I feel like if, that, if they were trying to do something like that, they probably would have had... I think we would have seen some sort of label or something like that if it was strictly about meat right right for sure or them actually eating at some point well franklin does which is just disgusting because yes. he has like that little it, it almost looks like a toe and it's just like <laughs> it does. and i always like gag a little bit in the 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 sequel of this movie when it starts off with the cooks uh have you seen the sequel by the way to this i don't think so no oh okay um well, the this isn't like a big spoiler, or it's not really a spoiler, but like the, the Sawyer family's still making meat and human meat, and they are Malik and chili contests and stuff like that. And <laughs> you see one of the judges eating it, and they win. And he says, like, "Oh, it's because I picked the best meat." And like you can see someone like, "Is this a tooth?" And that's how, that's how the movie opens. Um, uh. So, uh, but anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so lots of eating in the second one. I, I completely forgot what my point was when I started that tangent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? Franklin eating toe. Oh, yeah, Franklin eating toe. It made me think of that part in the sequel. But um. Yeah, it is interesting that... But, okay, but Franklin doesn't, like, chew on it. He's sucking on it, and then he tosses it. Like a which cigar. Which is, yeah, bigly gross. I know, it's gross. But, yeah, you don't see him actually chow down. No. Yeah. God, um, <laughs> it's so it's so. Fun. This is the scariest moment for you. This it's the this meat gross, that like, Franklin it, sucks on. Every time I watch this movie, I can't eat barbecue for like two weeks. Um, and <laughs> and just seeing Franklin with that, with that, ugh, God, it was just disgusting. Um, because in, it's, they also picked like the perfect like. Like uh, I I don't know why I can't genre of food is so incorrect not the great way to phrase it I'm at a loss of words but like the cr- the correct cuisine um, of like food the, the bar like Texas barbecue because like you know if you look if you go to like a barbecue restaurant look at the menu it's not like hiding what it is like we just call ribs ribs you know like we're not, right, <laughs> we're right. not hiding what it is and like barbecue is like the most like just hey we took this meat and smoked it and here you go it's not like a hamburger it's like oh well we matched it up we made it like a different shape for you so you don't have to think about it. we made a nice pretty sandwich with some garnish um, right and there's like you know the cows across the road it's not hiding at all yeah, yeah i love that exactly and like with barbecue it's like it's the meat it's also like you want some barbecue sauce on it that kind of looks like blood and just spray it all over it um happy thanksgiving everyone um so <laughs> Yeah. Again, perfect Thanksgiving movie. It, it really is. It's a family movie. coming together for a meal. Um, <laughs> uh, anything else, uh, Devin, for this um, for this segment for me- messaging? No, I think that was it for me. Um, time for our last segment. Uh, this one's a lot of fun. The cabin in the woods trinket. What sort of movie props or items would you want to put in the basement of the cabin in the woods that was summoned Leatherface and his family to come get uh, their victims? Um, I'll let you start. 
I love this segment so much. Um, it's so fun. I, I feel like it has to be a bone sculpture, though, like one of the art pieces oh, that the hitchhiker puts together. Um, because it's just, it's creepy, and I would, I that would, that would stand out to me in a basement. Maybe like the bone um, chair that Sally sits in. Ooh, that's good. Oh, yeah, I always forget about that piece. That is a nice piece of furniture in a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> just like the femur bones as the backing. I was like, oh, man, this is grotesque. Mm -hmm. And like her hands are like clutching like the other hands that are part of the the arms, oh. the literal arms of, of the chair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's so good. Um, and I'm now I, I went I went I went to a party, a pottery barn yesterday. And uh, the whole time I was kind of just like, this is weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's like, uh, you know, it's leather. It's like putting a, a cow leather on a seat. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, thank you for not being cliche saying a chainsaw. Um, I <laughs> I think I was I was going to go with uh, two things, either the metal door that uh, that we see slammed, Ooh. like that's like the door to the basement, maybe I don't know, or like just like, oh that's this, creepy. This weird back closet, yeah, I like that. Or um, I also had the freezer that Pam is sho Pam gets shoved in. Oh, gross! Gross! Which, like, is she alive? Because she like popped out of it randomly i don't think so i okay. think it's one of the i don't know the medical term muscle contraction Rigor things mortis. that happen yeah <laughs> that <laughs> okay because like her her eyes are wide open she's like doing like that weird head shake so scary so scary would that happen though okay if if the group from cabin in the woods opened up the freezer Ooh. would it would what would be in there popsicles or <laughs> um <laughs> Or I'm trying to think. I mean, it's got to be like frozen human meat, I, I would think. Like they go, oh, hey, like here's some burgers or. Steak. Oh, yeah. And then they do a little cookout, have oh. a little barbecue. And that's like the horror. Um, oh, geez. And like may maybe like no, like maybe like the real horror is that like they do that. They eat it. They have a nice meal. No family comes after them. But like as they're like packing to leave, the TV comes on and it just shows them pre preparing the meat that they cooked. And like, oh, that, that's, that's, that's the horror of it. And, and they <laughs> immediately drown themselves in the lake. Um, and they... <laughs> Love it. Love it. Twist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they did it to themselves. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I really like the bone art. I'm glad, I'm glad I got thrown in here. So yeah, those were, those were my items to put in this. <laughs> Love it. Love it. There's so many good ones in this movie, too. Yeah, I was trying to think of, uh, like, some other ones. So was, I thought about, like, maybe that, like, no, I thought about the wheelchair, like, Franklin's wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, like, maybe that'll just summon, like, Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just complains the whole entire time. And that's the torture. It's just Franklin complaining. <laughs> mm. I also thought about the, um, which, by the way, just having Franklin... Be, there's someone coming to complain the whole time would be awful um especially like since like a vacation like you know like a quote like weekend trip just like right. oh my god does anybody have any off oh the sun oh you know, just like <laughs> franklin <laughs> i can't get my worm on my hook when they go fishing or whatever <laughs> just oh, damn it who invited him um <laughs> vacation from hell <laughs> uh i think the last thing i had to mention was maybe throwing in a uh, hitchhiker's camera Mm, well, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. Was, I still love that sound effect of the flashing bulb. Um, so good. So um, good. Well, uh, any closing thoughts on this movie before we wrap it up? I feel like we hit everything yeah. that I wanted to talk about. We hit, I mean, there's so much to talk about this there film, is. and I feel like we could do it for hours. It um, is a rich text. It really is. Um, so I feel like I could dedicate a whole episode to like just what Carol J. Clover has to say about this movie. I'm so I want to read that now because well the book and then also the article that you mentioned too because all the, my research leading up to this I was like it was mentioning that book. Um, yeah, that that book, uh, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Uh, that is a, it's awesome. I it I haven't finished reading it, but it is such an awesome read, and it's the essay that coined Final Girl. So it's a it's a really good one. Um, and it's really funny because I think that Carol J. Clover, she still teaches, I think she's at UC Berkeley. She teaches like medieval history or something like that. Like it's, huh. I, I, I used to know this, but uh, she teaches like something that is just not like, it's not film. I don't think it's not like film or horror or whatever, but uh, yeah, it's 
people are smart um so <laughs> uh well Devin, thank you so much for coming on um i'll be remiss if i didn't at least mention to people that uh you were the producer of A Nightmare Wakes. Uh, I've had Nora Uncle on here a handful of times, and we also talked about that movie. So just so that people know, you know, you were part of that. If they haven't watched it, go watch it. Uh, it's on Shutter. It's on Shutter. It's on DVD now. I have, I, have a, I have a copy of it. Nora sent me a signed copy, which was so so nice of her. Um, and yeah, and Devin is, um, I know that you've, I think you've produced several other podcasts. At least I've seen like on your Twitter yeah yeah i'm a filmmaker podcaster i have a lot going on uh like you said a nightmare wakes thank you for mentioning um i also directed the fiction horror podcast cryptids which is available everywhere um and then yeah and then cadaver dogs uh the horror analysis podcast we're on all podcast platforms and then you can find us on social media at cadaver dogs pod Thank you, Devin, so much. I hope they have a nice Thanksgiving and everybody listening. I hope they have a good one. And uh, to everybody that participated in my little Instagram guessing game about what movie I was going to do, uh, thank you. And to the person that uh, guessed Thanksgiving, uh, I hope that you know I was just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, thank you, everybody, for partic- participating in that. It was a lot of fun. And I want to give a special thank you to Narissa who um, is a supporter on my Buy Me a Coffee page. Thank you, Narissa, so much. And I will see you guys next week with another episode. And again, happy holidays. Thanks, Devin. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. That was so much fun. Mm-hmm.